0: This is nice, getting away a little bit out here on
1: the lake. Looks like a good spot right up here on this area.
0: We haven't been able to really get away like this for a while. I know my schedule's crazy. I'm wide open right now, though.
1: Mine is crazier as (laughs) as ever. But, yeah, we got to take time for stuff like this.
0: You know, when I was growing up, it was really, really nice to go fishing and just hang out. And my dad used to take us out a lot at night. And I'm telling you, it's going to be spooky out here on the lake at night. I don't know about you. I've had some really weird experiences fishing.
1: You see and hear all kinds of things when you're out here on the water.
0: Well, those unexplained splashes in the night, you don't know what they are. And then, you know, you're on the lake. You just, my, what's, what's under you?
1: My favorite, when you hear that ka-thunk <laughs> and something hits your boat, and you're like, what was that? I
0: mean, I don't know about you. I will tell you, one of the scariest things that ever happened to me when I was fishing, I was going to the river. And where you had to park your car, you had to walk through a little pathway, and it was like all grown over. Oh, yeah. And this yeah. was early in the morning. It was pitch black under those trees. Like, I was legit terrified to walk to the river. I d- <laughs> and this was, you know, I was an adult.
1: I had kids. Packing your tackle box yeah. and your fishing poles. Come on, kids. Come on. But uh, I was legit terrified to walk through those trees. I was for a different reason because I'm totally allergic to poison ivy and poison oak. And those always seemed to, like, grow over the trails, and I had my flip-flops on.
0: Well, I know you're well aware it's Halloween. Yes. And you are well
1: aware that we have a tradition here. Halloween special. We like to
0: tell stories on Halloween.
1: Number four. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway.
0: I like being out in the middle of nowhere, out here on the lake, listening to the water.
1: It is kind of soothing to the soul.
0: You know, as we... We were approaching Halloween, and I always like to, to think about stories from Missouri. That's where I grew up. I wondered, is there a story in Missouri of a legit vampire? Like, do we have vampire stories in Missouri? Oh, I love vampires, but I don't know if I've ever heard one about Missouri. I stumbled across the legend of the Elvin's Vampire. Did you say Elvis Vampire? That would be hilarious. Elvin's So they're Elvish. No.
1: E-L-V-I-N-S. Elvins. It's a town. Okay. Well, it's still a vampire in Missouri. I'm listening.
0: It's not far from Park Hills, Missouri. Uh, There's a cemetery out in the woods. And it was originally used by the Gibson family. I believe it's called the Gibson Cemetery, actually. And eventually it was uh, used by the nearby towns, Flat River, River Mines, and, and the town Elvins. Now, the first burial in this graveyard was sometime after 1824. So it's... Oh, it's I an old grave. Back a ways. Now, in that cemetery is said to be the grave of a vampire. Oh. Now, early in the 1900s, a man moved to Elvin. Now, mining was the business of, of of note up in that region at the time. And a lot of immigrants came to that area. Whoa, was that a bat that just come down at us? Well, I mean, it happened, right? I guess. Okay. Now... This man had come from Hungary, and he was possibly named orlin No one's really quite sure. That's those. That's all lost to history now. But they say that he rarely left his house, and the older he got, the longer he lived there, the less he would leave, especially during the daylight hour. So obviously, people thought he was a little strange. Now, maybe this was because he was an albino. An albino. He suffered from albi- albinism. And that's the reason he avoided sunlight. Obviously, summers, especially here in Missouri, can be pretty brutal.
1: Well, probably why he didn't go out, because people made fun of him and laughed at him and all that stuff.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he had that pale white skin, the snowy white hair, and those red eyes. And people were probably a lot less kind then than they are now, and they ain't exactly friendly now. Amen to that. Well, the other reason people in town probably didn't care for him much is it, it was said that he was merciless and cruel beyond belief.
1: That's something for a Hallmark card.
0: And, and really, maybe coincidentally, not that long after he arrived in town, children in the area began to die under mysterious circumstances. Uh-oh. They would get sick and they would die. Now, uh, if you go back and you even look at the official records, there was an unusual number of children who died in that region between 1910 and 1920. And Coincidence? Well, there was a lot of diseases back then, and obviously people weren't healthy, but or, you know, didn't have access to the medical treatment we have now. Sure, sure. But even even under those circumstances, it seemed like this area had a, a strange number of child deaths. Now, rumor said that this old Hungarian miner would lure children to his home and, and feast upon them. And so leave them weakened and you know near death. And then they would go home and, and they would just appear sick and they would die. Now, when he died, the townspeople were very concerned about him not staying dead. Hmm. And so they also happened to notice that after he died, those strange deaths stopped kids didn't seem to get sick as much after that. That's a bad strange. And so when he was buried in Gibson Cemetery, they made sure to bury him at like the edge of the cemetery, away from all the other graves, especially those of the children. Segregation
1: of vampires at his finest.
0: And to ensure that he did not return from the grave, they built a wrought iron fence around his grave, which is still there, in not nearly as good a shape as it was. And they adorned it with crosses to keep him from roaming the land after his death. Nowadays... That cemetery's still there. Like I said, it's it's there in the forest. It's in ruins. It's been abandoned. It's long forgotten. Forgarten. Forgarten. It's long forgotten. And if you didn't know it was there, you'd, you'd probably just stumble right over it, except for the f- odd little tombstone that juts up out of the ground. But that fence is still there, and it still has crosses hanging from it. Huh. Now, those that go there say that it, it does seem unsettling to be in there. Now, you're in a forgotten graveyard in the middle of the woods, and I assume most people go at night, so it's bound to be unsettling. So there's that. And you've got all these poor children, buried there, left alone in the woods with a vampire not that far away. That's kind of sadistic. But visitors there also say they they continue to have this feeling of being watched anytime they're by the, the vampire's grave.
1: I'd be interested in trying to find that grave.
0: Well, I think you got one. Oh yeah. Hey. Whoa. 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 Wonder if that's a cat. Holy crap! That's got too many eyes. Throw that back. <laughs>
1: I don't want this. Just cut the line. Cut the. Oh no 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 no! Cut the line. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Get rid of it. No, oh, we don't want that. Okay. I, Why? What was that? I do, whoa! I don't know.
0: I, well, maybe it was just a trick of the light. It is dark out here.
1: I wasn't taking any chances. That thing wasn't coming in the boat with me. I got. Well, I'm in here too. I, gotta, well, I don't want it either. Well, yeah, but you, you know, you're a bigger guy. You could probably stomp on it and kill it or something.
0: Hey, I'm working on that.
1: I'm. Yeah, I got to tie another hook on here. Oh, uh, well, I'm doing it. I've, I've got a story here I'll tell you while I'm doing this, as long as I don't stick myself with a hook again. <laughs> it's called the Hauntings of Ravenwood Home. That's located in a little town called Bunston, Missouri, and it's kind of the northwest region of Missouri. Oh, if you're looking at a map between Sedalia and Columbia. I don't know where that's at. That. I thought you'd you Got a boy going to college up in that vicinity. Yep. Ravenswood, also known as the Leonard Home is a historic home and farm and national historic district located near bunston cooper county missouri it was built back in 1880 by a charles and nadine leonard it's a two and a half story kind of eclectic italian style second empire brick mansion it is you know what that means (laughs) i had to look it up i had to look it up it has a low-angle uh, roof, kind of covered with asphalt uh, on the top and gray slate shingles on the slopes. And additions, like with any house, were made throughout the years, but on 1907 and 1908 they did a, a notable addition, and one in 1913 to 1914 as well. Now, also on the property are uh, there's kind of a, a contributing summer kitchen, uh, what's called the Tally Ho Barn. The mule barn, a sheep barn, a milk barn, a carriage house, a manager's house, servant's house, smoke houses, sheds and garages, and a pump house. So it's, it's got everything. It's a sprawling property. Got a lot of little properties there. And it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places back in 1975. Now, floating lights have been seen, and music heard often outside on the grounds. There's also uh, tales many people refer to of a large broken music box in the upstairs hall that randomly turns itself on late at night and plays. Also, no, I don't, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. Also, loud crashing sounds and noises have been heard uh, that can last for up to fifteen minutes. Uh, So like some people describe it as like scooting furniture around and stuff. And a lot of times you hear that, but it just happens for a few seconds. It's up to 15 minutes. So some major ghostly house renovations are moving the the, the stuff around. Now, the ghost that that they feel or think that is there may be that of Nadine, uh, who lived there to the age of 90, uh, or their son Nelson, who unfortunately, tragically, was crushed to death by a car that slipped out of gear and smashed him against the iron gate near the car grot.
0: Didn't know what happened to that Anton Yelchin we talked about in uh,
1: an earlier
0: episode. Chekhov.
1: Played uh, Chekhov in the Star Trek. Hey, hang on.
0: Before you... You see that light? Is that another boat? Well, I think it's on the shore. I
1: might be wrong. Kind of creepy.
0: Well, no, it looked like it went back up in the trees. Maybe somebody hiking at night? Flashlight? Hopefully.
1: So, hmm. Well, sometime later, a family servant uh, was there and they tried to enter Nadine's upstairs room and gather some clothing, but he found the door was locked from the inside. Now, someone was smart enough or clever enough, they decided, uh, you know, they've been working on the house, so they had a ladder. So they climbed and, and they looked up into uh, the window of the room, and it was totally empty. Now, there was no way for the lock to lock itself from the inside. So the family tried several ways to open the door, but they finally agreed uh, it just have to be broken, kicked in, forced open. Wow. So the servant said, now before we do that, let, let me run down and I'll grab some tools and try to like, you know, jimmy the lock, so to speak. So the family's kind of waiting for him there at the stair, looking down. He comes up and they all turn around and the door swings open.
0: <laughs> yeah, again,
1: nope. I'm yep. out of there. Other manifestations have occurred enough that they are sometimes almost expected. Uh, especially around Christmas, you know, not so far away. Uh, The house, the owners uh, often still decorate, you know, a large Christmas tree and do a lot of decorations, but apparently Nadine or someone there doesn't like glass ornaments hung on the stairs because they will get chucked down the stairway and shattered all over the stairway. Wow. No, that's not safe. (laughs) That's not safe. The broken music box, as I mentioned, uh, it just often happily plays during the crashing of these Christmas ornaments. And add an even more <laughs> of an eerie twisted effect to it. Yeah, as if the, or- the music box and the, or- the flying ornaments and self-playing music box. Shards of glass on the steps and let's play happy, frolicking music.
0: Yeah, that sounds awful.
1: Now, neighbors still say that they hear laughter and, and hear like orchestra-type music coming from the yards and the lavish gardens that were there. They also say that they see what they describe as lanterns hung in the trees, numerous ones. Now, several reports have been made throughout the years of seeing these lanterns hanging from trees on the ground and hearing, as I said, the same orchestra-type music. Now, a lot of people think these are ghost-like events that continue to go on there in the gardens and the yards. When Nadine was there, she often would throw these real lavish luncheons and parties outside. She would often have servants hang lanterns and ornaments from the trees, and hire orchestras to come in and play to hosts of people from the community. That's kind of neat. Yeah. She dearly loved the community, often liked to share the experience with them. And this seems apparently true, especially around the holidays, uh, the 4th of July, Halloween, and Thanksgiving in particular. You know, maybe, perhaps, she's still entertaining the guests for anyone that might want to come and visit her. But watch for the shards of glass on the stairway.
0: Have you ever been on the Haunted Mansion ride? Oh, yes. That, it reminds me of the, the, the dancing scene with the g- dancing ghosts yep. fly, floating around. <clears throat> Man, I love that ride. Hey, you got one over there. Oh! That
1: bomber went under quick. That must be a big one.
0: Wow, Wait. did you feel it hit the boat? Holy crap. Whoa, the whole boat is moving. Got... Oh, broke my line. That, wow. That was a big one. He was one of those giant catfish from the dam. <laughs> the ones that can swallow a human. Well, it looks like I got a tie on again. Yeah, I got <laughs> hey, mine done. Speaking of giant fish. Giant fish. So, I know I'm old here.
1: You are old, Bill. Surely
0: you remember Jacques Cousteau.
1: I've read about it in history books. Oh, come on. I'm older <laughs> than you are. I know of you've course. seen
0: Jacques Cousteau, the legendary marine explorer. He designed a submarine called the Deep Star 4000. And it was designed to go in the water. How many feet deep do you think the Deep Star 4000 can go? 3,000. You're off by 1,000. Off by 1,000. It can go down 4,000 feet. Oh, okay. Now, in June of nineteen, I don't think we're in
1: 3,000 feet of water here. No,
0: but it doesn't take long
1: for the water here to get murky either. I'd say we're in 20, 25-foot water. I think though. you could
0: put your hand in there and lose track of your fingertips. Mm-hmm. It's like of the Ozarks. I mean,
1: yeah. underground caves and everything murky. Down there.
0: And then, you know, you lose a fingertip to a piranha. Or something. Piranhas, they live here, yes. So in June of 1966, passengers aboard the Deep Star 4000 would see something, I mean, just frankly unbelievable. They were down about, oh, 4,000 feet. 4,000 feet. When the submarine lights illuminated something. Now, at first, what they saw was just like a shadow on the seafloor. Maybe it was something natural. Maybe it was just the mud they'd kicked up with the engine of the the, the propeller on the submarine, you know. But then they saw a huge eye turn
1: their way. That's not a propeller.
0: And the pilot of the submarine said it was nearly the size of a dinner plate. Now, there's some big fish. And this is in the ocean. This is 4,000 feet. But still, this is a big fish. They realized then that that's what this was, of course. This was a giant fish. They said it was bigger than the submersible they were in. Would have been somewhere 24 feet or longer. They said possibly up to 36 feet. Whoa. Six feet wide. Like a tank of a fish. Whoa. It was like a car. This is a truck. This is a Half of a bus were the fish. What's a bus? What, like 20-something feet or whatever? Uh, like, buses are big, right? Oh, yeah.
1: They're maybe pushing 30 foot.
0: So this is like a, the size of a fish is as big as a bus. And, I mean, clearly bigger than the submersible they were in. Obviously, the pilot was immediately, you know, he was very nervous. Spooked out. But he did manage to get a pretty good look at the thing. He said it, it was mottled brown with grayish-white tips on its fins and scales. Uh, pectoral fins, the little fins on the, the chest there. They were over two feet long, and its tail was five feet high. Dang. Uh, It was covered in huge scales. The largest, he said, was the size of a coffee cup. Again, us Americans will do anything to avoid the metric system. (laughs) Yes. Uh, He said the body was shaped something like that of the legendary coelacanth, but coelacanths don't get this big. They're like three, four feet long, something like that. But it reminded him very much of that shape. Now, People would argue he has seen a, f- a shark or whatever, but sharks don't have scales. No. They have the denticles, the little rough skin on them, and their eyes are much smaller in relation to their body size. Even the biggest sharks, their eyes wouldn't be the size of dinner plates.
1: No, The no. whale
0: shark is similar in size to this thing, and it's got little bitty eyes. Now, the pilot saw it. His name was Joe Thompson, and then there was a marine biologist on board named Gene Lafon. Now, he saw it as well. He can He vouched for it and they both agree that if what they saw was real it would easily be the largest of the bony fish to ever exist on this planet bigger than any other fish of this type they'd ever seen now bony fish that's just regular fish you know yeah. but we're not talking like sharks or anything like that uh but but again this this fish would have been bigger than a whale shark now they did come forward about 6 months later and supposedly there's audio of their encounter that got recorded
1: but i was going to ask you know, but they, they didn't a, get any pictures or video no they didn't get any pictures
0: but they were on a scientific research mission, I don't I think they were just investigating the seafloor or something like that. Now the audio of course has never turned up. And a lot of people say the only reason they mentioned it at the they were at a conference when they talked about it, and there was a cryptozoologist in the in the meeting in the audience there, because obviously if they'd seen anything weird, he'd want to know about it. And some people speculate that maybe they told this whopper of a fish story (laughs) whopper of a fish story just to you know get their names out there and get a little popularity i don't know why you'd want to be associated with something like that to
1: get famous well especially if you're on a scientific expedition it kind of seems a little i mean
0: imagine you're like driving down the street in your car and you run into something that's
1: bigger than your car It gets your attention
0: that that's a big fish that'd swallow you whole well six feet wide it would try
1: it would definitely try Well, I've got another story, and and now I've shared parts of this story, I know, on some of our other podcasts, but this one is worth a revisit, and literally, it is only blocks away from where both Bill and I live, uh, even closer to me where I live. Uh, For those of you who are interested or might be in the vicinity, it is part of now what would be the backside of the property would be Easter Elementary School. It would be on the corner of Clark and Harwood Avenue. Now this story, again, it's kind of personal story to me. It was relayed to me by a distant relative who once lived, uh, rented, they didn't own it, but rented, and lived in this now demolished uh, mansion house. That would have been back in the mid-1990 area. And it was called the Keystone Mansion. This giant house was actually originally two different homes when the husband and wife married, and I can't remember which one it was, but the other one moved their family home, we're talking a full like three-story house, and placed it on the property and connected it to the other family's house. That's awesome. That's crazy, but cool. Now, it obviously made this one of the largest homes uh, during that time frame in the mid-1800s. Uh, of all of Lebanon, early Lebanon. And it boasted something like 10 to 12 fireplace hearths, like 20 plus bedrooms, and later on with conversions, uh, six to eight different bathrooms, uh, three stories tall with an additional attic and a partial basement. My wife Sarah and I were very lucky enough to tour the place in the mid-1990s. Uh, when we were actively involved with the local historical society. Now, the home at that time had become in very much disarray. Many of the windows were shattered, busted out. There was some bad spots in the floor. Uh, Roof was leaking in some of the places up in the attic. Uh, Some homeless people had actually lived in it at a couple different times and had started fires in the old horse. And the fire department had even been called and almost lost it to fires a couple times. Uh, But on one of its last hurrahs, if you will, the current owners at that time had allowed this to be used for the J.C.'s Haunted House for the whole month of October in the Halloween season. Uh, For a couple years, again, this was back in the uh, mid-1990s, we're going to say, it had fallen a long way from grace, as I had said, from its once lavish history. Because in, in its time of all of its glory, the original family had these yards and lavish rose gardens that surrounded the home, immaculate kept condition. Now today, if you if you know where to look, uh, you can still find a couple of the rock and block gate columns, uh, but that's all that remains of the property of the house. They bulldozed that house down when they put the road through over to connect to Easter Elementary School, and, and they built uh, the school there. But... Still, the house had some hauntings of the original kind, as told to us by, again, as I'd said, one of my distant relatives who rented the home for her family back in the uh, early 1980s. She and her family stayed there for, I want to say it was three to five years. But she told us uh, when we were visiting that she had often felt a presence in the home, multiple presence, uh, that it was common to hear footsteps in the upper floors, uh, in the attic especially, when there was no one else there. And she had actually closed off part of the upstairs for heating purposes and stuff, so they didn't even, like, go up in the top floors. She mentioned doors would open and close. She would hear sounds of what sounded like children running, playing up and down the servant stairway especially, uh, which could be experienced. And then there was the basement. She said it was especially creepy, more so than you would consider for a basement of any old home. Uh, well, I mean...
0: Most basements are Most creepy. Most basements me. are creepy, but
1: attics aren't much better. This basement had concrete slabs, almost like tables, that was erected in it. And she said at one time she was told by one of the original family members that a portion of that basement was rented out to the mortuary to prepare bodies Ooh. on the slabs. Uh, so obviously, we had the bodies of deceased here in the basement. So that does kind of creep up the creep factor a little bit. Uh, now, later on, she kind of laughed and chuckled, and she said, uh, especially kind of during the Prohibition time, these slabs held moonshine stills, And uh, people used that and kind of supplied the uh, speakeasies and the illegal uh, alcohol of the time.
0: What is it about places that are haunted that have, like, really shady back history? Like Morse Mill,
1: for example. Oh, yeah. Had some shady stuff Speakeasy stuff, going stuff <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I guess maybe if it's already haunted back then, they're thinking maybe the revenuers and the government officials will, will stay away from there. But.
0: Well, and shady, shady things happen in shady places, right? Yeah, so. true.
1: Now, you see, all of this was making ghost stories that need to be remembered in history. The name of the house was the Keystone Mansion. Now, that was due to the Keystone Telegraph and later the Keystone Phone Service that came here to Lebanon. There was an old dirt road that came up by the house and it was known at the time as Old Wire Road. It got its name from, you guessed it, where the telegraph wire lines and later the phone lines would come in uh, and supply the town with all that technology. Now, before it was the Old Wire Road, this old dirt road was part of the original Trail of Tears used to march the Cherokee and the Native American Indians through the area to Oklahoma. Yeah, there would be no negative energy associated Nothing with it. Nothing there. I mean, we're setting the stage here for some major haunty, haunty, spooky, spooky. Well, it was on this old road one evening at dusk when the Yankees attempted to march into Lebanon during the Civil War under the cover of dusk and darkness. However, as the story goes, there was an old black servant man who was out tending the flowers in the gardens, and he was alerted when he spotted the troops coming up the road, which passed the house. He quickly ran to the side porch, and he sounded the bell alarm, the dinner bell, some of you might be familiar with or heard your grandparents talking about. You'd ring this bell traditionally and call in people from long distances that, you know, hey, it's lunchtime, hey, it's supper time. But he was ringing it at dusk, To alert the neighborhood and the family that he served inside now the union troops immediately just took fire upon the black man no doubt trying to silence him from even reaching the bell but he was determined and although he was shot it was said several times he continued to ring the bell sounding the toll before he finally collapsed there on the porch now upon that alert the neighborhood and the confederate troops that were stationed at a nearby church, and they had had kind of a temporary medical tent hospital camp set up, was just a few blocks away, and immediately it erupted into a very small Civil War skirmish between the North and the South. Lebanon was at different times the home to both Union and Confederate troops, and it changed all throughout the Civil War. Still, it was the ringing, the tolling of this bell, that haunted my distant relative the most. The bell had long been gone. As a matter of fact, the porch was even removed, and there was literally just kind of a door that was about a two-foot drop. The overhead uh, roof of the porch was even gone, she said, by the time that she moved in. And they didn't use that door, obviously. But she said it could still be heard from time to time, as she called it the ghost of the black servant. And he did his best to alert Lebanon of the invading troops. That said, the servant was buried in a nearby cemetery in an unmarked grave on the original property. Just off to the right-hand side of Harwood Avenue before it intersects into Highway North 5. Now, just to put in perspective, as you're heading down that road, if you go straight, you would go to the high school. And straight to the left is the very large Lebanon City Cemetery that's at that same intersection. Now recently, just kind of a new twist of events. There's a Wood Street Baptist Church located on Wood Street. Uh, They're in Old Lebanon, as it is called. Uh, kind of at the, the area of Maine where it intersects with Broadway. Ironically, that is the same location where the Confederate hospital and the camp was located when the Union troops came in and the bell alerted them. But just in the past few months... An electric bell tower was just added to this old church. So now the entire area around Main Street, Old Wire Road, Wood Street, formerly known as, I mentioned, Old Lebanon, can once again be heard tolling of the bells. Now, most people don't know the story, but for me, being the history buff, every time I hear those new church bells, I kind of hope in a weird way that it comforts the ghost of the old servant. Maybe he can find some rest knowing that someone else is now ringing the bells for Lebanon, and maybe he can get some rest and peace and possibly move on.
0: You know, I've lived in Lebanon for a while, and you are a history guy. Like it always, it's always interesting for you to talk about the stuff that is here and, and the things like that. As a matter of fact, that little spit of land right there by Easter, you know, mm-hmm. um, as you're cutting across. My wife even said, no, it's my daughter. Said something the other day about that. And they're like, that's where that haunted place is what Eric was telling you about.
1: Yep. Yeah. Right in about our backyards, that. literally. So, uh, anyway, you
0: hear that? That is a baby crying, right? Like or am I just the only one hearing that?
1: I thought I heard something earlier, but I thought surely it's not a baby. I mean, there's not even any houses around here.
0: Man, that is weird. Being on the lake and hearing something like a baby cry. That don't. that kinda reminds me of the water babies. Have you heard of the water babies? You mentioned that I had never heard of it. My daughter told me about this. I would never heard this story, and she said, "Hey, you're gonna tell some stories on your podcast,
1: like daughter, like father." She's always
0: trying to give me ideas, and you know, like we said before, maybe someday she'll she'll do an episode,
1: bring your daughter to work. But day. she
0: told me about this, this story about the water babies, and I had to look it up.
1: Yeah, I mean that. that I is, heard
0: that. That's a baby. No, um, so so just outside of Pocatello, Idaho. There
1: is a spot. There's a name that rolls off the tongue. Well, yeah.
0: Pocatello, Idaho. Well, there's a much better name coming up here in a minute. There is a spot that was the site of tragedy and is still kind of frightening to this day. There's a state park located along the Oregon Trail there at Pocatello, Idaho, just outside, called Massacre Rocks.
1: Massacre Rocks. I'm, I wonder what took place there. I
0: assume it's at least partially related to the origin here. Now, some say long ago it was the scene of a terrible, terrible incident and is now the home of ghostly
1: infants that still haunt that area. Like that baby I just heard again. Weird. I told you, it's, it's, it's kismet. Like, Man, it, you it's can't weird. even tell where it's coming from. It's like echo.
0: Now the most common story associated with with massacre rocks is that when the Shoshone people inhabited the area, we're going back a year or two. There was a I'm severe so famine. so proud of you.
1: You're turning into such a history <laughs> person.
0: There was a severe famine in the area. And, you know, the village got together and they knew. They just knew what they had wasn't going to make it. They weren't having a lot of luck finding more food. And they just could not support any more mouths.
1: Ooh. And. I'm starting to connect dots here. And
0: so when the women would get pregnant, they would take those babies down mm-hmm. to the water. Mm-hmm. And they would drown those babies. Oh. To spare them from a life of starvation. Ooh. Because, you know. There, there can't be much worse torture than starving someone to death. And then having to watch your baby go through that.
1: I don't know. Maybe drowning your baby. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean,
0: you know, but legends say that, that as those babies were drowned, maybe they changed. Maybe they grew fins and gills in order to survive in some strange way. Kind of goes and,
1: back to the old folklore of, uh, leave a baby and the, what was it? The elves, the, the kindred, the elves oh, would, uh, would, would change exchange them.
0: them. Um, and maybe these babies would eat the little fish they found there to fill their bellies?
1: Or is that just wishful thinking?
0: Or or maybe the spirits of those babies are still
1: now th- trapped there. That, yeah.
0: People have reported seeing Total Innocence. Well people have reported seeing these little spirits playing in the canals and the river there. Um, and and in even even today in the region, you know, in the Massacre Rocks area, they, they say they see these little babies in the water. Uh, And and they've they've called them, they've they've gone on to call them the water babies. They call them the water babies now. And these water babies allegedly are still making their presence known. People have reported seeing them playing in the canals and rivers. Um, Sometimes they say if, uh, if you go up to the banks of the Snake River and sit a while, just in silence, not make a lot of noise. You'll start to hear the unmistakable sounds of babies crying.
1: I'm I'm envisioning most of our listeners aren't aren't as old as I am, so they probably will have no clue what I'm talking about, but I'm almost envisioning uh, the Cupid dolls that Rose O'Neill. Well, I think it probably is
0: a little cuter than what it actually is.
1: Maybe. But like they're little naked baby kind of cartoon characters, but they had like little angel wings and stuff.
0: But yeah, you'll you'll hear the sound of babies crying, and they say that supposedly these spirits are, are those babies that were drowned there. I could definitely see that. They're looking for their mothers, or they're attempting to find their mothers and punish them for what they
1: did. Oh, um, or Sinister.
0: You know, and, and they're there lurking along the shoreline laughing and luring concerned peoples to the water's edge. And some po- folks will say that if you get close enough, they even grab you and drag you under the water to join them.
1: Ooh, ooh. maybe if they get someone to the water they can take possession of that body
0: well again it seems like they'd want you well I don't, I don't know i don't know what they're doing i mean
1: <laughs> who you've am seen I- one we need to ask who
0: am i to peer into the mind of a <laughs> drowned infant? <laughs> drowned
1: infant that sounds so weird that's a terrible thought that's a terrible thought wow well i've got another one uh well hang on a minute oh you got a nibble there oh, oh my gosh yeah this one doesn't seem quite as big well that's I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Oh, it's rolling. Oh, good lord, I think that's a snake. Oh, we don't want that. (laughs) Uh, No, 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 no. Not today, Satan. We're not having a lot of luck. No, we haven't caught a single decent fish. Well, I think you got interrupted there. You were... Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Let me cut this line. Yeah, go, go be free. Yep. Okay. Time to fix another hook. Well, this story is of the Phantom Organ... Falcon, Missouri. Again, this one's kind of a little personal, uh, directly coming from my wife's family. My father and mother-in-law, Brad and Patricia Bradley. uh, Well, they still own, I started to say did own, but they still own a large area of land down off of East 32, uh, what is known as Falcon, Missouri. A little tiny podunk town. Uh, It's in the area close to Gasconade C4 School, if anyone might know the vicinity, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. But it's down a long gravel road, and it has several hundred acres of Missouri forestry land that's all right there by the Gasconade C4 School. Their original driveway to their property, I used to joke with my wife, I said uh, it, it was literally a mile and a half long. And I used to joke, I'd say, oh, see that? Those are pipes that's running along through there. was no pipes, but it's like, those are oxygen pipes that pump the oxygen back because so far, <laughs> you, you live so far off the road. The middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Um, but anyhow, it was up and down and around, you know, till you got back to the farm. And they used to raise Texas Longhorn cattle there and had quite, quite the herd. Now, we lost Brad, my father-in-law, several so years back, but uh, not before he and... Pat, my mother-in-law, uh, had told me personal stories of hearing what they described as eerie, like pump organ style music, like a church organ. Well, that's the first thing that comes up, but it wasn't always church music. Well, I mean, but, but... yes, yeah, that kind of that kind of stuff uh, coming up through the valleys and hollers. Now, in case that that's a that's a hillbilly term, hollers. Well, uh, I know what you mean. I <laughs> you know what I mean, but some of our listeners they may not know a holler is basically just a small valley yeah but you're gonna hear me use that because hey i'm a native country bumpkin so now my wife sarah uh, she was always been a, an outdoors person especially growing up there on the farm and the property uh, brad uh, he'd actually bought an old bulldozer from an auction he made a like a three or four acre lake that he dug out himself it was right there off the front porch my wife loved to go out in the fields and, you know, pick flowers and played in the creeks and exploring, as any young child would do, at least, you know, back in the mid-1980s when we both grew up. And they all tell similar stories. They'd often be sitting out on the front porch, looking over the lake, you know, watching the fireflies, just enjoying the country life. Far from town, you know, far from any light or noise pollution. And of course, there you know, there's the sound of the country, coyotes and crickets and fish jumping in the water, much like tonight, but nothing compared to the eerie music of what sounded like an organ playing that seemed to travel down the hollers and seemed to come out right there by their house. It was almost like an amphitheater setting on their front porch. Wow. Uh, They said it, it, it happened pretty regularly. Now, to your point, you mentioned church organ. It did seem to occur mostly on Sunday evening, but not always, but more than 50% of the time.
0: So I got to ask, mm-hmm. is there a church anywhere nearby?
1: Uh, now, I will say yes. There are still, even today, uh, a few tiny, tiny little country churches in the area, and I'm sure there was more so at, at that time. Would they be big enough to have an organ? No that was one of my points. If you know if anyone knows anything about Missouri, it's it's the Bible Belt. You know, and there's hundreds of churches scattered all over Missouri. But what made, you know, this different was I think a couple things. Number one, eerie organ music was generally heard at dusk or dawn. Now, most of these small tiny churches were just that. They they maybe had 15, 20 people in attendance. They did good to hold the service on Sunday. They didn't often if ever hold events on Sunday night when Uh, the organ music was heard. To be fair, the only churches I've ever been in with actual organs were pretty big. Yeah, more, yeah. I mean, usually, not always, but organs are bigger, they're more expensive, you know. These small churches, I'm just going to say country churches, they didn't have the money for an organ, Uh, maybe a piano, but again, growing up in this area, and I had family down in that area, I, I went to some of those churches. Literally, it was like you stepped back in time. There was a couple churches that I went to. They didn't have any musical instruments at all. It was just harmony and singing church hymns. I remember uh, one just down the road from Falcon is even a smaller town called Nebo. And oh, yeah. they literally had a potbelly wood stove that they heated the church with in the back of the, the main sanctuary. Those, those
0: two towns are so small, they typically share a sign. Yes. <laughs> they
1: just Nebo Falcon. I had a friend of mine that I worked with at Detroit Tool, and he said, that's a, that's a blinking plum town. And I said, what What do you mean by that? And he goes, you blink, you're plumb through it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but three, uh, well, I won't say some of the organ music that was heard might have been religious nature. It wasn't always you know, religious music. So the church connection, to me at least, didn't explain fully everything. Now I will say, you know, meeting my wife back in high school in the late 1980s, she was my high school prom date in 1988, showing my age there. Uh, But she spent quite a lot of time walking those hills and hollers of the farm at Falcon. And, you know, we went out hunting mushrooms, looked for arrowheads. And, you know, while I was dating, we we went out there and checked on the cattle. Often they had four wheelers. I'd love to go out and ride the four wheelers and and I can attest, it's it's a very rugged area. There's you know there's bluffs and drop-offs, and there are creeks and running streams and, and springs, and it can certainly play acoustical tricks on you. You can't really tell where it's coming from.
0: Well, if you're down in and around bluffs and stuff, sometimes that happens.
1: I will say, I have heard this particular organ music. Uh, Sarah and I were out a couple times. And we would hear it, and it it didn't seem to, at least the times I heard it, it didn't last for a, an extenuating long time, but, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes.
0: It, it's really weird that you bring this story up, because just the other day I read a, an anecdote that someone had collected from family members about hearing phantom organ music in the middle of the woods. There you go. So it's not unique to you. I mean, other people have had similar experiences.
1: Now, to paint the picture of this area... Um, kind of unrelated but again it it connects to the area there's even rumors on my family's property my, my wife's family's property possibly or at least adjacent of sinkholes and caves that are there now of course i always have loved caves i i we looked we never found any but there is a tale a story of one that was discovered by a neighboring family adjacent to the bradley farm And this would have been back in the early 1900s. And a child, a young boy, uh, had fallen into a sinkhole in the area. He'd been out with his coon dogs. And he fell down into what he said was a medium-sized cavernous room. But he said, when he fell down in there, there were multiple skeletal remains that reminded him of Indian. They were up on like little ledges. He remembered some clay pots. But on the shelves kind of carved out possibly or maybe natural of these bluffs was gold wow it is rumored he crawled back out of the sinkhole clutching one small gold ingot bar very crude and he wanted to take that of course to prove his story because he knew nobody would believe him now while i never personally saw that as luck would have it i did work with a man at detroit tool by the name of don curtis He happened to grow up in that area, and he was 20, 25 years my eldest. He was older than me. But he grew up in that area. He claims his family had actually seen that gold ingot bar, and it had been passed down from the original family who had discovered it, and his family happened to be friends with that family. So anything is possible. But again, we got caverns. We got bluffs. There's creeks. There's hollers uh, that, you know, it it plays a lot of tricks on you but back to the eerie organ music it's never been fully explained most of the family uh, seemed to just kind of blow it off It, it was just kind of almost expected second nature they got used to it so you'd ask them about it and they'd tell you but it it happened so often that it was just like you know we don't talk about it unless somebody asks about it um it's all, to me, it was weird to have organ music playing way out there in the country. You know, pipe organs, as we talked about, very large, expensive. They just didn't fit in that little country church environment with 15 to 20, maybe 25 people. And then again, you're thinking, well, if someone is listening maybe to a record, maybe they got their windows or door open, you know, it's a very rural area. Maybe they just enjoyed listening to organ music and played it on the record player. But surely to goodness, in 20, 30 years of this going on, They would listen to some other genre besides just orchestra music, you know. So, you know, the families now moved to town. Uh, They ran out the farm. Uh, I can't say if the eerie organ music can still be heard today or not, because honestly, I haven't been down around in that area for, you know, 10, 15 years. But it was one I just thought was, was worth sharing for a spooky Halloween story.
0: Now, I don't know if I've ever told you about this. When I was late teens, early 20s, I had a friend who was, he lived with his, his parents and, uh, and his, his wife. And I would hang out with them a lot. And I knew his parents. They they loved me. I was like a, another one of their kids to them, you the know. Adopted son. And uh, I come out there one night. And where they lived, if you could imagine, just like a piece of land kind of set up like a big triangle with three roads that kind of intersected at each corner. They lived in like the middle of like a long side. And everything else in that triangle, there was no other houses in there. So... The other houses were, like, you know, quite a good ways away through the woods. You couldn't see another house from their house, for sure. And if you were going to wander around in the woods, you certainly weren't going to stumble on another house before you stumbled across one of the roads. And he said, hey, man, we've been hearing this weird, like, flute music Hmm. at night. And so we were out there one night, and it got good and proper dark, you know. And he goes, this is about the time. So we were sitting out there, and we got kind of quiet, and we are listening. And everybody that should have been there, I knew where they were, most everybody was sitting with me. His parents were in the house. They were, they, they were like, they watched a lot of TV, so they were in the house watching TV. Sure. We were all sitting outside. Everybody that was there, other than his parents, were with us. And sh- sure as, sure as heck, sitting there listening, start hearing flute music coming out of the woods. <laughs> and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a professional flute player, you know, like, you know, fast or anything. It wasn't like an expert flute player, but it was just flute music, and it was like. It wasn't fast. It wasn't like a discernible melody, really, but the notes were, like, perfect. They didn't crack. They didn't break. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just these perfect flute notes
1: Hmm. coming out of the woods. Kind of reminds you of, like, a a satyr. That's kind of where my mind went. Playing a flute. Again, Dungeons & Dragons, mythology reference. I
0: got on a message board online and and asked if anybody had ever heard anything like that, and, of course, they ridiculed me for going straight to the supernatural. (laughs) But, like, maybe somebody's just playing the flute, and I'm like, okay, even if that's the case... If there's someone wandering around the woods playing a flute, that's scarier than if it was some kind of monster.
1: <laughs> that's like Deliverance playing the banjo. Yeah.
0: What was that bump? That was almost as big as that fish Something earlier.
1: hit the boat again. Well, I don't know what that was, but it, yeah.
0: I got one last story. I think it's a pretty good one. I was poking around.
1: Well, hurry up. It's starting to look kind of cloudy. We may get rained on here. Well, I don't want to get
0: rained on. I was Lightning looking around, struck.
1: and I, I found a link.
0: And this link was like, this may possibly be the scariest urban legend in Missouri. Ooh. And I thought, that's a story I want to yes, tell on the podcast. Yes, please. So there was this this gentleman. His name was Norman McFadden. And he contributed on a regular basis to the Lincoln County Journal, a little local paper. And this, this story is straight out of Lincoln County. And I guess he had a penchant for telling, you know, sort of folklore type okay. stories. And so he says he's sitting at home one night, and he gets a phone call. And it's an an old man. Now, the guy doesn't introduce himself. He sounds tired, but he just starts out, I mean, just, hello? Yeah, have you heard of The Cabin in the Woods? And this was probably before the movie. I was was like, way before the movie. And the guy's like, well, no. And he goes, you're the newspaper guy, right? He said, well, yeah. And he goes, so you're into weird stuff, stories like this. (laughs) You're into
1: weird stuff.
0: And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm going to tell you the story. And so the guy recorded the story he, he wrote it down he wrote an article about it and about what would happen next so the story goes around about 1905 there was a man named john and a woman named suzanne now they were from hawk point missouri which i'm not sure where hawk point is never heard of it. i'm assuming it's around lincoln county and these two got married now unfortunately or however you want to look at it they were both very antisocial. they were not social people whatsoever and they wanted to live just as far away from other folks as they could so not long after they got married, they bought some property way, way out in the woods. God's country. You know, the kind of place I'd like to live. The boondocks. And hopefully, you know, the idea was they would live so far away, no one would ever find. <laughs> you know, they would just come into town when they needed I something. To that, that would be about it. John built a cabin from the trees on the land, and, and they lived there pretty happily. Now, eventually, story goes, they had a little girl, and they named her Josie. Now, of course, no one can be sure whether Josie existed, existed or not, or really. Not, yeah. I mean, they never, almost never come to town. But it was said that this Josie was just the most perfect little baby, and she grew up to be beautiful. It, it, um, she she had long blonde silky hair, beautiful blue eyes, just this beautiful little girl. But because of the way she was raised, due to you know her parents being antisocial the way bit they were, socially awkward, she never knew anybody but her parents. Like they were the only people she'd ever know. And I mean, I can't even imagine that she she never left the property from the day she was born. So when Josie's about twelve, this little girl, you know, preteen, she's, you know, out there. She lives out in the woods, right? I'm sure, you know, for fun, you run around, you explore. And she runs into a lady out in the backwoods named Jessica. Now, this Jessica was known to the locals to be a witch. Ooh.
1: <laughs>
0: and they said she had all kinds of herbs and, and and spices and mixture, you know, ingredients for her potions and spells. Now, whether you know it or not. Some folks may be unaware. There are good witches, white witches, what you'd call, and there are dark witches, black witches, evil
1: witches. It's also where we probably get a lot of our pharmaceuticals. Now, white witches,
0: they practice beneficial magics, and they help people. That's their intent. While dark witches truck with demons, use demons to do their bidding, and they create evil spells, and they do harm on others. Now, stories say this Jessica was a dark witch. She wasn't a good kind, And she would travel all over them woods, all over the countryside looking for ingredients for her potions and stuff. And this was how her and Josie ran into each other. Miss Jessica was out looking for for ingredients for her potions, and she ran into Josie. Now, for nearly two years, these two would meet in secret. Her Josie's parents didn't know about this, but Josie would go off in the woods, and she'd And this poor,
1: unsuspecting girl didn't have any social clicks to yeah, pinpoint, she didn't, there pinpoint was out this could be a bad this. person or yeah. danger or there anything. There was no
0: point of reference for her. She didn't know any different. And in these meetings, Jessica was teaching Josie her secrets, her, her dark magics. Now, when Josie was 14, a little teenage girl now, things took a dark turn. Things went bad. Now, this young girl had been helping Jessica with a spell that day when things went horribly, horribly wrong. Now, they both knew things had turned the minute it happened, the second it happened, the instant it happened, they knew things had gone bad. As something straight up from the pits of hell come up and entered into that little girl. And that demon knocked her to the ground as it as it possessed her, as it took her over. And Jessica could only watch. Like, even Jessica was unprepared for what was happening here. And she watched that beautiful little girl's face twist and change, and her back hunch up. Her, just She physically changed as she was taken over by this demon. And at a certain point, Jessica had had enough. Like, even as, as evil as she supposedly was, at a certain point, there was too much for her. And she, she couldn't watch any longer, and she ran from the scene, leaving that child there in the woods where Proof she was. Proof that she was
1: a bad witch. Yeah. Just She's leave this very poor nice. kid.
0: Now... Obviously, her parents became agonized, didn't know where she was. And the next day, they set out to go look for their missing daughter. And they found her frail body on the ground where the demon had knocked her prone. She's laying there and seemed to be unconscious. Now, Josie woke. And when she did, man, she was she was wild. She behaved as if she lost her mind. John and Suzanne, they couldn't understand what was happening. This was not their sweet little girl. This was not their baby. She didn't even look like herself, let alone act like herself. And, and there's just no way this was their daughter. Now, they struggled with her. As she fought and kicked and bite and scratched and spit and screamed, the whole time they were trying to get her back home, They, I mean, they had to physically drag her home that night. And when they finally got there, they didn't know what else to do. They chained her to the bed. Because oh. obviously she was a danger. They didn't want her, you know, get into
1: Understandable, but still. Ooh.
0: And not knowing what else to do, they, they even barred her window. Because they figured if she would get out of them chains and get out, she could hurt herself, she could hurt somebody else. They didn't want that. They were certain this was the only way to keep her safe now unfortunately due to them being antisocial the way they were they made one terrible mistake and that is they did not try to find any help to find out what happened we'll they,
1: handle this ourselves they
0: figured they could handle it on their own now if they'd only you know maybe gone to the local church or something somebody might have helped them
1: Ooh, flash of lightning there well not quite a month later
0: the worst thing for them happened as night came on so did a terrible thunderstorm
1: That's perfect timing yeah
0: Lightning was flashing, thunder crashing, wind howling. I mean it was you know how the storms can get. Mm. Missouri storms can get pretty bad. I mean we're known for that, right? Well the thunder was so loud it was shaking this tiny little cabin. And with the thunder being so loud, well old John and Suzanne did not hear Josie break free of her chain. Uh oh. The next thing they know, suddenly Josie's standing there in the doorway to the living room. Now Eric, I'm not gonna lie. I mean they lived way out in the middle of nowhere. There was no witnesses to what happened. And very few people had ever seen what happened in that room. I'm not going to repeat what happened. Well, the guy who was relaying this information to the reporter, he said, I'm not going to repeat what happened, what I've heard. He goes, I'm not in for horror movies, and I don't much like thinking about those kinds of things. So whatever Josie did that night to her parents was like straight out of a horror movie. We can only imagine what she did. There will be blood. Well, after she did what she did to John and Suzanne, Josie took off. She ran off into the woods and disappeared. Now, it was sometime later, sometime, days, you know, wasn't, wasn't like, you know, this, this was sometime later. But who, who do you think finds John and Suzanne? Or what's left? Witchy-poo. Jessica? Jessica finds John and Suzanne. Now, of course, she knows what happened. Or she's got a rough idea, right? Yeah, look what I've done. She doesn't want anyone to know what her role in it is. So she quietly buries the couple in private, in the woods, in an unmarked grave, and just abandons that. Cleaning up the tracks. Now, since they're so reclusive, you know, No one really noticed. Nobody's
1: even going to miss them.
0: Yeah. I mean, they never even thought about it. They were so rare a sight outside of, you know, out in town or whatever. No one even knew they were missing. And 10 years later, as Jessica's laying on her deathbed,
1: she prayed to the good Lord and asked for forgiveness in Jesus' name. The evil witch prays to the Lord. Well, maybe she realized the error of her way. She had a change of heart.
0: And to unburden her soul, she tells the story to her relatives as they're there with her on her deathbed. And she tells them that even to that day, Josie was still possessed by demons and called that now long abandoned cabin her home. Now, this calls over 100 Mm. years later. And this Norman, he's sitting there. And he said, the man seemed lost in thought as he finished his story. And then, you know, whether he should have or not, he gave Norman directions to that cabin in the woods. Now, Norman naturally curious, a reporter, and into these kinds of things. I would
1: be stupid enough to do the same thing. I'd be checking it out. Well,
0: overcome with curiosity, he set out the very next day.
1: As they say, curiosity kills the cat. Yeah.
0: Well, Norman wanted to know if there was any truth to that tale out there in those woods. So he headed out to the southwest corner of Lincoln County along Big Creek, and he hiked around for almost two full days searching for this cabin with no luck. Now, at the end of the second day, I think he said it was a Friday night, just as the sun's going down and darkness is kind of setting in around the, the woods and, you know, it can get dark pretty quick out in the forest. He steps into a clearing and boom, there's that cat.
1: Ooh, mysterious appearance. Now
0: he quickly realizes as dark as it's getting, there's no way he's going to make it back to his car before it's full dark. He's never going to find his way back. So there he is, standing in that clearing and he realizes he's left with just one option.
1: Stay the night in the cabin. Stay the night in the cabin. In the
0: woods. Even at that moment, In his heart of hearts, he felt, this may be the dumbest thing I've ever done. But he doesn't even have a tent with him, really. So he thinks, well, I'll be better off in this cabin than I am out here in the woods, right? So he looks around inside a little bit. And then, you know, because he's heard the story, he starts doing blessings. Going around the house, blessing the house. He pours just a little bit of anointing oil at each window and each door that leads outside. Man came prepared, at least. Now, things were pretty peaceful for, you know, a good part of the night. That is, until about midnight when it seemed as if all hell broke loose. Now, first it starts with scratching at the doors. And after that, whatever it is that wanted in began to scream like a banshee. And knowing there was nothing he could do, he crouched there in the darkness, terrified. Whatever was outside that cabin, it wanted in and it wanted in bad. He was terrified and he began to pray since he certainly wasn't gonna be doing any sleeping. (laughs) Finally, about three in the morning, right around three, he decided, okay, I can't take this anymore. He gathers up what things he had with him, and he decides he's going to make a blind run through the woods to get out of there. Whatever he's going to do, he's got to get out and get away. Wow. Okay. He he just knew he had to get away from that accursed cabin, no matter what. Now as he's going up to the front door, things seem to quiet down, and as he gets to that front door, right before he puts his hand on the door, he has this realization: whatever's out there can't
1: come in, or it would have already
0: come in. It could not pass through those windows and doors that he had blessed with oil and prayed over. Well, he knows now if he's going to survive the night, he's got to stay inside and he's going to have to tough this out. Now, as if whatever was outside had the same realization as he did at the exact same time, it was suddenly as if the devil himself had opened up the gates and unleashed the host of hell into that forest. He said it was just, it was insane. It's just the noises and things happening outside, just this little cabin lost in the middle of the Missouri woods.
1: But that, thinking of which there's, there's a little cabin right up there on that, uh, shore. Why not? I'm not
0: going over there. No.
1: There's a dock. Well, that reporter
0: knew that it was his prayers that kept those things outside the walls. And he knew he might just lose his mind sitting on that floor that night. But he was going to pray all night long to make it through. And things did quiet down. And suddenly the front door opened up on its own. So he ran over to shut it. And as he did, the window across the room popped open on its own. Messing with you. So he ran over to shut it. And as he looked out the window into the pitch black night, he said it was just dark, just pitch dark. He couldn't see a tree outside. It was black as night. And that in that quiet darkness came a whisper, a soft whisper, calling his name over
1: and over again. Come out, come out.
0: He slammed the window shut. He sat down again. He covered his ears to, to cover you know, to not hear that, that dreaded whispering. And he began to pray out loud to Jesus to protect him over and over. He prayed the same thing over and over, over and over until at last those first rays of light peeked over the horizon in the morning. And the forces outside that cursed cabin fled with the darkness before the sunrise. Cause obviously those things don't much tolerate the light. Luckily, as soon as he possibly could, he gathered up his stuff. He ran out of that cabin and he, he started heading in the direction of the rising sun. He knew he had entered those woods from the East. He moved as fast as he could through those woods, only stopping when he absolutely had to. And I mean, it was almost three hours later. He found big Creek. He followed it for another 30 minutes straight back to his car. He jumped in. He drove off. He never looked back. And i tell you, the last thing he put in that article was, and I never plan on going there again.
1: Wow. Dude, it is starting to rain.
0: Well, and something just hit the
1: boat again. We got to get out of here. It's like 45 minutes back across the lake.
0: I, I say we. I'm not going to no cabin in the, the woods. The
1: cabin is I'm not two going, minutes away. I am not going to
0: a cabin in the woods after you know, what I just told you. Oh, look. They even turned the light on for us. Okay. Start the motor. Let's get out of here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I kind of agree with you. This is weird. There, there's somebody standing in the window.
0: Well, they can keep standing.
1: They, they don't look friendly. Okay. We're leaving. Bye.